After, um, after all that had happened, Nathan, God's servant, came to David. And he told David a story. And he said, look, David, there are two men. There's a very rich man in the city and a very poor man. The rich man had much cattle. He had much lambs. And the poor man had only one tiny little ewe lamb. He loved this lamb. He fed it. His children played with it. He, he loved it like a daughter. And Nathan said to him, the rich man. The rich man took the poor man's ewe lamb. He took it so he could provide for a traveler that came to him. And he fed it to the traveler. Now David, in hearing this, his anger burned. His anger burned so greatly that he said, this man should die. This man deserves to die, not only die, but this man deserves to pay back fourfold for what he has done. And Nathan looked right at David, stared him right in the eye and pointed at him, and he said, David, you are the man. And immediately, when David heard that he was the man and his eyes opened up, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. It's amazing what's happening here. The sin that David had committed, what Robert, Robert had read to us and what we have heard, the horrible sin that he committed was all a heart issue. You know, that David could stand there on the balcony and see Bathsheba and say, I want her, she is mine, and to take her was all a heart issue. It was all sin against God. But we're going to listen to Psalm 51 this morning. It's David's repentance. It's David's confession. And it is all a heart issue. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at three points this morning as well. And I just wanted to, uh, this morning I had gotten up, and I, I don't usually do this, but I was watching the sounds of the NFL, which sounds straight, is strange going into that now that I just started this way. But um, the thing that that does for me is that when I watch the NFL and they let me hear the sounds of the game, you can't hear that when you watch a regular game. You can't get in and see deep what's going on inside with those players when they're playing. You don't understand it. You can't hear it. And God is doing a beautiful thing here for us in Psalm 51. He's letting us in. He's letting us into David's heart. He's letting us hear what's going on with David. And that is a beautiful and awesome thing for us that we could do that. So I'm going to read Psalm 51. Um, I'll tell you in a second since... I need to get to the page. Psalm 51 is on page 686 of your pew Bible. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. 
Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare thy praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. For you are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you asking you to open our hearts, to see your words here, what you are doing in David's heart, I pray you do in our hearts, that you would help us to understand what true repentance is all about, that it is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, it is a renouncing of it, and it's a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in the obedience of Christ. Help us this morning, Lord. Help us this morning to see you and to see Jesus. In your precious, holy name, amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at three points that we have under Psalm 51. We want to look at humility. It's three evidences of a repentant heart. Humility. A broken and contrite heart. And seeking God for forgiveness and renewal. And the first one is humility. And you know, when I thought of this, you might think this is a little funny, but I immediately thought of uh, Charlotte's web. I don't know why, but it just came to me, and I thought of Charlotte. She makes that web, and she writes in the middle of it, of that pig. She, for Wilbur, she writes humble. And you know what? You think of, if you watch that, and you think of, of Wilbur, you think of someone who's you know, meek and mild, all the other people, all the other people, all the other animals in the barn were uh, a little nastier than he was, not as nice as he was, and he was really nice, and you see this spider taking care of him. But this morning, I would like to have us look at what humility really means when we're dealing with God. A definition that we're going to have here this morning is humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. You know, I don't normally do that. I don't normally just sit there and say, okay, I'm going to assess myself in, in light of God's holiness and my sinfulness. It's not an easy thing to do. But if we think of David being humble here in repentance towards God, that's exactly what David is doing. David is humble. He's being honest. You know, in Greek mythology, there's a fable. A young man named Narcissus. He came upon a pool of water, and he stared deep inside this pool of water, and he saw his own image staring back at himself. He fell madly in love with it. And he stayed there staring at himself until the day that he died. And so it is with our sin sometimes. We can fall madly in love with our sin. We can fall madly in love with it and not even know. And then we never look to God for repentance. We never look to God for forgiveness. And that happens sometimes. So... The first point under humility, I would like to talk about realizing that we are a sinner. And simply, David, he said it. 
I have sinned against the Lord. He said that in 2 Samuel 12, 13, when Nathan comes to him. He admits, I am a sinner. And I just want to be very careful here. The Bible is very clear. In John 1, 8 to 10, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, it says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You know, when Nathan came to him and Nathan was speaking to David, he even said that David had despised the word of the Lord. David was not doing the things that he was supposed to do. You know, in my own life, I'm convinced that I don't always open the Bible because I'm afraid about what's going to stare back at me. It shows me my sin. It convicts me of who I really am in light of God. You know, I have one example for you in my own life um, in regard to admitting that we have sin. And I'll just admit to you, I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with depression and not so much anymore, but at one particular time in my life, it was so strong, and I didn't really know what to do with it. So I sought out godly counsel, and the godly, godly counsel that I went to basically said, okay, I would like you to basically write down the sin in your life that is contributing to these issues. And I basically said, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? There's no sin here. I'm being attacked. And that's how I felt. I felt like I couldn't control my life But it wasn't me. It was because something else out there that was affecting me. You know, if I had that gentleman here today and he asked me that question, um, I'd talk to him about my sin and I'd still be talking and we'd be here next week. But, you know, we have to understand that we are a sinner. And next, under humility, David does something amazing here. He admits his guilt. He says, blot out my transgressions wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Look what David's doing. My transgression, my sin, my iniquity. You know, uh, there's an author, his last name is Tripp, and he, he titled this The Terrible Trinity. Transgression, iniquity, and sin. You know, transgression is willfully stepping over the line. Didn't David do that? Didn't David willfully step over the line here? So God draws a line. Do not commit adultery. And here's David. He stepped right over that line. So transgression is willfully stepping over the line and breaking God's laws. We are rebelling. And unfortunately, or fortunately for my message, I have a lot of examples in my life that have to do with uh, God and sin and But one particular one I'm thinking about, a great example of thinking about transgressing, stepping over the line. Uh, I had taken my wife into Manhattan. My brother had never met her before. And we go into Manhattan, and we're driving down one of the avenues. My brother's building's there, and I see an open parking spot. But the thing with this open parking spot, and I kid you not, there's a huge sign that says, Do not park here. Mark, don't park here. And then it says, we will tow your car. And I could still hear my wife saying, I don't think you should park there. (laughs) I parked there. So we go into the building, we go upstairs, we meet my brother, no longer than 15 minutes. We come downstairs, and and again, I'm not kidding you. I look and I said, somebody stole my car. Somebody stole my car. $150 later, Two hours later, embarrassment later, that is 
transgressing. That is rebelling against the things that we know that we're supposed to do. And David mentions my iniquity, the stain of sin that affects every area of our lives. David says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin, my mother, and in sin my mother conceived me. He's not blaming his mom here. He's basically saying, I'm without excuse. I've always been a sinner. So iniquity is that stain in our lives that we cannot get out. You know, I put this here yesterday. I don't know if it's still here, but um, here it is. I don't know who thought of making these, but it's permanent marker. Not good with me. And one night, my wife and I have a very expensive dining room table, and I took a piece of paper just like this, and I'm drawing on it, and drawing on it, and drawing on it, and come to find that markers seep through paper and then seep through into the table. And then permanent marker doesn't come out. So I see what I did, and I don't tell anyone, and I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm trying to get, trying to get it out. And then I just said, okay. And I just took whatever was close and I put it over it. <laughs> so, and of course, one night at the dinner table, somebody said, I guess they must have moved what I put over it. They basically said, what's that mark there? So, you know, your sin will find you out. And it, that's basically when we talk about iniquity. It's a stain that will never go away. And then he talks about my sin. You know, that's missing the mark. And again, very honestly here, I always thought if you had a target, you had a bow and you had an arrow, and you shot, okay, fine, I missed the middle. But I'm a 9.9. I'm a 9.1. That must be good enough, right? That, that has to be good enough in the eyes of God. But no. Basically, it says that you missed the mark. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what it really means when you're talking about missing the mark? That arrow never makes it to the target. It falls short. It never even gets there every time. Does it make it? So all of us, every single one of us, has guilt, just like David. Granted, those sins are horrendous, and, but we could still say in our lives and be honest that there are sins in our lives. But then, if we're going to be honest, like I said about the definition of honesty, being honest and humility... If we honestly assess ourselves, just think about your guilt in your life. What do we do with our guilt? Do we give it to somebody else? Do we shove it deep down inside, which I tend to do, and then all of a sudden it comes out years later? So what do we do with our guilt? You know, and there's so many things. Look at the world today. What are people doing? What, what would they be guilty about? You know, so many, you look on the news and you see, you know, the SAT cheating scandal. Like, young people... Cheating on tests to get ahead in life. Um, you know, there's overeating. There's abusing alcohol. There's drugs and sex. You know, maybe somebody here just, and I've had this myself, and it's come out before, that I had a hard time forgiving people sometimes. And I think I forgave them, but then just come to find out that I really didn't forgive them. So that has been a deep guilt for me. You know, I have an example of guilt. Have you ever heard of a Tasmanian devil? It is a carnivorous animal that eats garbage and, and eats smalls, small animals. You could smell this thing miles away. That reminds me of guilt. It's not a pretty thing at all. It will ruin your life. David was able to say, I'm guilty, and Lord, I'm going to give you my guilt. We need to do that. I need to do that. He held on to his guilt 
for over a year before Nathan came to him. In Psalm 32, this is what David wrote. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Do you see what guilt will do? Do you see what sin will do if we don't give it to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's saying, come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then we see, you know, when we think of um, the evidences of repentance, we think of a broken and contrite heart. In verse 17, David says this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. God despised his sin. God despised what David did. God does not despise a person who knows that they are spiritually bankrupt. He will not despise that. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, in Matthew 5, when Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he is teaching his disciples. And he comes to them, and he teaches them, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, I had always looked at that, and I didn't really understand what poor meant. I mean, it just didn't click in my mind. But God here, when he speaks about this, he's saying, Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt in and of themselves. We cannot take care of our sin. You just can't. There's no way to, cl- to cleanse it. As David was asking, blot it out, clean it, wash it away. We can't do that. You know, I think of Bathsheba in the story. It said that she purified herself with water after all that had happened. That will never get your sin out. And God is saying here, I want you to be spiritually bankrupt. I want you to be relying on me, trusting on me. Stop being so self-reliant in yourself. You know, how well did the Pharisees do handling their sin? You know, how well did David do handling his sin? How well do I do handling my sin on my own? So, the second part here, the verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn here means to grieve over your sin. And I had always thought, you know, when I read that, mourning must mean because maybe I'm sad. Maybe someone has passed away, or maybe I'm just down, but God will always be with us and help us, and he does. But he's speaking here of those who mourn over their sin. So we're to be brokenhearted over that. Isaiah 66, 2 says, But to this one I look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. You know, I had one example about being broken and contrite. One of my daughters one night, I tell you, I was so shocked. I, I went to tuck her in at night, and I walked into her room, and I turned, and I tell you, there was a waterfall of tears coming down my daughter's face, and she was in bed, and I honestly didn't know what to do, and I came over, and I sat by her, and uh, we prayed about it, and she was reading this devotional book, and it says, goodbye guilt, hello happiness, and it says, thoughts to grow on, guilt is that nagging, yucky feeling you get when you've done something wrong. 
Think of guilt as the rotting scraps in your kitchen garbage pail. If you let them stay there, they will turn sour and stink. The secret sins you hide in your heart rot and turn sour. They will rob you of happiness. And then it goes on to say, guess what? The only way we no longer feel guilty is to give it to God. The paraphrase here of the verse, 1 John 3.20 says, When our hearts make us feel guilty, we can still have peace before God. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So I prayed with my daughter, and then she gave me a big smile, and we prayed about the Lord Jesus, and she was really worried about her relationship with God because of the guilt she felt inside of her. And then after we spoke and after we prayed, she had a big smile on her face. She gave me a kiss, and she went to bed, and she slept well that night. But we have to understand that we need to give God our guilt. Now, number three, seeking God for forgiveness and renewal. David says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Now, David really had nowhere else to turn but to God. He had nothing left to ask for but for mercy. David couldn't go to God and say, God, you know, okay, give me your holiness, your righteousness. I mean, that's a a death sentence to David, basically. He deserved to die. He was right. When he uh, convicted himself in the beginning, I told you, he was right. He deserved to die. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. You know, he uses words here for mercy, Mercy is basically saying that God is assisting us. We're pitiful in our sin and in our guilt, and he is our assistance. Unfailing love points to the continuing operation of his mercy. You know, it is never-ending, never-failing. It is always there. There is no sin that God will not cover. There's nothing that you have done, I have done, that God cannot clean, cannot wash away, cannot blot out. There is nothing. It says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity and transgressions and sins? You know, compassion that God has for us, it teaches us that God feels for our infirmities, and he does. Now, my next point here. I really want, if you don't hear anything else I said this morning, hear this. We must trust in Jesus for cleansing. David says in a couple of verses here, verse 2, verse 7, verse 9, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Whatever you trust in for, to, to cleanse you of your guilt and your sin, it could be good works, you know, it could be perfect performance. I never really thought I was that kind of person, but I have to really be honest with myself. I think the better I do, the better I am in God's eyes. But I need to stop, and we need to stop and turn to Jesus. Now listen to the great hymn. Jesus paid it all for nothing good I have, whereby your grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. David says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. There is so much faith here by David, but there's even more power of God here. I will be clean and I will be whiter than snow. You ever look out here in this field when it snows? How beautiful that is when it first comes down? You want to take a picture. It's just gorgeous. But even snow never stays that way. It gets dirty and nasty. David is saying, make me whiter than snow. Now David's using a word here. He says, cleanse me. It means to purge. Another way to say it is de-sin me. We have three cats at home, and they all have claws. I never declawed them. How sorry am I for that? They tear up everything. My, couch, my wife keeps saying, let's get a new couch. I want to get a new couch, because the cat's going to rip it up. God, uh, David here is saying, de-sin me. Just like if you took the claws out of the cat. If you de-sin David, if, you, if he's saying de-sin me, he wants to be completely purged. Nothing left. Not a hint of guilt left. Not a hint of sin left. So David is saying, cleanse me, wash me. I want to be whiter than snow. I want to be whiter than snow. And we can say, you know, believers who believe in Jesus Christ, we can say, I am clean. I am washed whiter than snow. You know, this cleaning can happen because of a substitute. You know, Jesus Christ is our substitute. You know, by saying, cleanse me with hyssop, David means, he literally means here, when he says, cleanse me with hyssop, that's a weird word, right? It's a plant. But he's saying, cleanse me by the blood. That's what it means. It means, cleanse me by the blood of a substitute to bear the penalty of my sin by that innocent person being put to death. You know, I just heard, recently heard a great example that helped me understand what a substitute means. And if you think about Barabbas, you know, they released him and they crucified Jesus Christ. And Barabbas was able to be released. He was a murderer. Now think of Barabbas being able to walk around free. Think of Barabbas being able to see the three crosses, the two on either side and Jesus in the middle, and Barabbas being able to look out. Barabbas, by no doubt, could say that that man is in my place. He is my substitute. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ is our substitute. He is the only substitute. There is no other. You know, hyssop, the first time you hear of that is when the Israelites are told the angel of the death is the angel of death is coming and the firstborn are going to die. Unless you put the blood of an innocent lamb over the doorpost of your house, and then the firstborn would not die. Well, we need to have Jesus Christ's blood over the doorpost of our hearts. That is the only way that we have forgiveness of sin. You know, David was asking God, clean me by the blood, and we need to do the same. You know, that song that John sang before, Come to Jesus, I mean, that's really all it is. That's it. Come to Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us. Bathsheba was trying to purify herself with just plain water. But he, Jesus Christ's blood, will purify us from all unrighteousness. 
In 1 Corinthians, it says, I delivered to you as first importance, and I also re- that he also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. In 1 Peter, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. Now, point C, I, want just, I have it down as point C. You don't know it's point C. But a new creation. David says in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This, to me, was one of the most amazing verses that I have heard. David is saying to God, Create a pure heart in me. Man, I desire to have a pure heart. I just desire that. But I can't have that without God's Holy Spirit living inside of me. Basically, David uses a word here, it's bara. When he says create, it's the same word that is used in Genesis. When God creates the heavens and the earth and us out of nothing. Out of nothing. David is saying, create in me a pure heart. Don't have any of me left. He's asking for nothing short of a miracle. That's what he's asking for. Create in me, O God, a clean heart, a pure heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, and I think for all of us, that needs to be what we ask. I have uh, one verse here from Ezekiel. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and I will and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. Now, David, what happened to David? At the end here, I just want to just have us think, what happened to David? I mean, the end result, David sinned, he repented, and I tell you, God heard him. We know God heard him. And we know God hears us when we repent to him. We know he does. But I have to just for a second go over the fact that your sin and my sin has huge consequences. You know, David's life would never be the same. Nathan said, the sword will never leave your home for what you have done. He had four sons, and there, were, there was more rape, there was more murder, even after David confessed and repented of his sin. And they, uh, David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon, and God loved Solomon. But David here, even though all that was happening to him, he was a new person. He was a new creature that was saying, God, I want to serve you. I want to love you. Remember, um, I read before in Psalm 51, and verse 13, he says, he's asking to teach others about God. David standing on that balcony, saying he wanted Bathsheba, he wasn't teaching anybody about God. He was living for himself. Now David repents, and God forgives him. It gives him a new pure heart. And David is saying, I want to teach people about you. That's his life. He wants to teach people about God. He wants them to know him. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. 
That's not the David we saw before. Only God could have done that. And only God can do that in our lives. And then he asked God, open my lips in verse 15. When we sin against God, most of the time, we're going to be hiding away. Our lips will not be open. We will not be singing the hymns the way we should. We will not be praising God. We might be putting on a good front, but our hearts are not there. And now David says, open my lips, and I will declare your praise. Now, in Psalm 32, was written after Psalm 51. And David, it's a fulfillment of what David was asking for. And verse 1 and 2 says this. This is what David writes. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Make no doubt, doubt about it, David was a changed man. David was a changed man. You know, in a minute, we're going to be singing Amazing Grace. We sang one Amazing Grace, and we're going to have Amazing Grace that was written by John Newton. Now, John John Newton was one of the vilest sailors you would have ever met. He actually was thrown overboard, um, and he deserted. He had a horrible, horrible life, and he was also a slave himself and was treated poorly. But John Newton, as we sing these words to Amazing Grace... You know, he knew what it was to be, as you sing those words, he knew that God had changed his life forever. He said this at the end of his life, and he was a pastor for 43 years. At 82, he passed away, but he said this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and that Christ, is a great Savior. No wonder he understood so well grace, the completely undeserved mercy and favor of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how blessed we are because our transgressions are forgiven. Thank you, thank you, thank you that our sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you do not impute iniquity and that you are living deep within our hearts and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.